Welcome to the Creativity Podcast, where art and engineering collide. In this episode, we discuss our personal creative endeavors ranging from woodworking to electronics, arts and life in general. My name is Max Maker, and this is my co-host, Jeremy S. Cook. Hi, everyone. Our guest this week is an amazing woodworker on YouTube that doesn't mind building 16 drawers for a single piece of furniture. His name is John Perilla from the YouTube channel Perilla Works. In this episode, we are going to talk about woodworking, what is it, why do we like it, and how can you get into it? So, John, what is woodworking to you? Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Uh, to me, woodworking is just a creative outlet where you can draw design and bring it to real life. Uh, and it's just, um, you know, a fun hobby for me that turned into a profession. So you, you say draw it. Do you use, use CAD usually or do you hand draw it or what do you what's your preferred method? What's your process? Yeah, it usually depends on the scale uh, or scope of the project. Most all the projects I do start with, you know, pencil and paper. Uh, the project I'm working on right now just started with a re the back of a receipt and a highlighter, just drawing a rough sketch. <laughs> if it's a really involved project, like some of the bigger ones I've done lately, I'll take it to SketchUp so that I can get some of the exact dimensions dialed in. But if it's a smaller project, I can just play it by ear as I go in the shop. Very, very so nice. So using SketchUp, I, I know a lot of people are using that. Uh, did you ever think about going to Fusion? I did. I, I have actually, I have Fusion on my laptop, but, uh, you know, every time I open up those programs, I just get a little intimidated and uh, SketchUp is a little bit easier for me to understand. And for the projects that I'm doing right now, it's getting the job done. I know that I'll eventually have to switch over to Fusion because it's got a powerful uh, program for using my CNC router and I just need to hop over that for that aspect as well. But, uh, you know, when I find the time to do it, I, I'll eventually get it done. Yeah. So, so John, what is, what is your background? I mean, are you an engineer by background or what, a, what's, how did you come to this, this point? Yeah, I actually, I studied materials engineering in college. So I got my bachelor's in that. And then I went to Virginia to work for a little bit as an engineer. And then I picked up woodworking and I started with a couple of Kickstarter projects, which is a crowdfunding campaign system. And from there, I was able to raise a little bit of money to start my own little shop. Quite a lot, right? I looked it up earlier and, and you made quite a lot of money for that uh, Kickstarter. Yeah, the, the first one I did was more of a hobby project. And I was I only sold like 20 something boxes, but I only had 20 something available because I knew I was still working and I just I made all the boxes in my apartment. And when I moved back down to Florida, I ran a, another campaign and I, you know, let the floodgates open. I said, I'll sell as many as I can, make as many as I can. And I think in terms of woodworking projects on that website, it did pretty well. So uh, it was a, a success. Very neat. So what you say a box, was there something special about this box or was it just a I'm sure there was, I started right? out, Yeah, I started out with bandsaw boxes, uh, and I used to see them online, and I thought they were pretty unique designs available um, compared to what you see with most uh, technical cabinetry, which is mostly squares and rectangles. Bandsaw boxes allowed you to add a lot of unique curves to a project, and there is a low barrier to entry to create a bandsaw box. You essentially just need a bandsaw and some you know, other tools on the side, like a sander and stuff like that to clean it up. But essentially you only need a bandsaw. And so I had a couple designs in mind and got them made up and offered them on the Kickstarter and, and people seemed to like them. Hmm. That's, that's interesting. 
And now you sell your stuff on Etsy too, right? Since Kickstarter is a one-time thing, kind of? It was. I, I kind of wanted to get away from making all those little boxes. Uh, once I was able to get the money raised to get a, a more solid shop, uh, I wanted to move to more, I guess, technically advanced items and bigger items. Um, with that money, I was able to get my table saw, a bigger band saw, you know, some other tools like my CNC router. And, you know, the Etsy shop, I have some of those boxes available and I also have some other smaller items. And then I, you know, there's always the option that most of the work I do, I get contacted through email to make like more one-off custom items. <laughs> do, do you find it's tough to price yourself for one-off items? I, I've always had a hard time with stuff that I physically make. Has that been a challenge for you or not? It's really tough because most people, they see something in the store And then they know that I'm, you know, I live near them and the, they think, oh, it would be cool if he made it for me. And so they, they already have a price in mind, but they just want me to make it. And so I think the economies of scale, at scale are working against someone like me. And so it, it's, it is difficult because when you, you give them a price, you might in the beginning forget that you need these two extra router bits that you don't have yet. And another gallon of glue. And so these things sort of add up once you, after the project is done, you go back and look at how much money you spent and how much you earned and things don't always add up as you hoped. Sure. And you've got to account for your time actually pricing the stuff and your, your mortgage and everything else. I always have to account for the price of failure as well. If something goes wrong, if I get a, have to give out a refund like a year later because I made a mistake, that's going to cost a lot of money. It's going to double the price basically. Sure. Especially with one-offs, you never know if what you're doing is actually going to be right at the end. You know, a table could split or the stuff that I do, something could not work out the way it's supposed to. Yeah, you know, I, I just finished up a large dining room table and it ended up being about 10 feet by four feet in dimension. And so something that big, it really takes up a lot of space. And um, especially being there in the holiday season, you have to weigh your options. You know, this project is going to take up half my shop. Like physically, it'll literally take up half of it. And so how, how do I work on other projects at the same time and manage my time correctly? Sure. So how long have you been doing that for yourself, like full time? I started last year. Well, I guess not last year. I started in early 2016 when I moved back down. And that's when I did the second Kickstarter. And from there, I was just taking on any work that I could find. Um, I want, I, you know, I think in your head, you kind of see yourself as a creator, designer, you know, I wouldn't stretch as far to an artist, but you kind of want to do the things you want to make. But when orders come in for a, you know, a cutting board or, you know, something you've already made before, you kind of get maybe a little dejected saying, like, oh, I'm too good to make those things. But at the same time, you know, if it's going to earn you some money, you know, it can't hurt. That's interesting. So yeah, obviously you've got a pretty successful YouTube page at this point too. Does that, does that supplement some of that or is that, is that a money driver too, or is that? It is. Um, you know, surprisingly enough, I wasn't sure if I wanted to start making videos and, you know, every once in a while, if you get in a little bit of a slump, as far as sales are concerned, you start to wonder, you know, should I build up an inventory of, of items that someone might not ever buy? Or should I make something kind of cool and unique? And so that's the route I took. And I, I filmed it. And you know, my first couple videos, you know, first handful, I guess, were nothing special. I was using a GoPro and, and just, 
didn't put much effort into the editing. Um, once I switched to a better camera and I started putting a little bit more effort into the editing, uh, I, I think it started to grow a little bit. I think most channels, you have a couple of videos that kind of take off and that builds your base. And so that's what happened with me. I have a couple of videos that, that did pretty well and it brings in a subscriber base that you can kind of depend on from there on out. And so from now you kind of have a base floor of what you can expect from each video and then hopefully each one grows from there. Oh, very nice. Yeah. So what, what kind of camera did you upgrade to? I, I use a GoPro myself, so I mean, maybe I need to step my game up a little bit. <laughs> well, you know, I, I have the GoPro and my wife got it for me specifically for this type of thing. And it's just sort of limited as far as, you know, it's got the fisheye lens. And I think you can remove that, but that's just another step for me. And so I have a Canon Rebel T3i, which I had before I started woodworking. I got it for just, I thought I was going to try to get into photography or at least just uh, get some nice pictures for wall art. And uh, I wasn't sure what its video capabilities were, but I gave it a shot and it seems to be working out okay. There's every once in a while it'll stop recording because it can't take in as much data as it needs to, or maybe that's on the SD card. But, you know, it, it's been doing pretty well. I think the only thing I'd like to upgrade is possibly getting an external microphone for it. But uh, other than that, I, I like it. Very cool. Yeah, I've, I've got a Canon T2i and have, have that had that problem all the time with it stopping recording. And like you said, I think I, think oh, I just that have That must a, be so annoying. Oh, it's, it's not fun at all. So I use my GoPro. It's a GoPro 5, which pretty works pretty well for me. So yeah. I'm, I was happy with my GoPro, but then it broke and I never got a new one. And now I kind of miss these shots. Sometimes they were really nice to have because they really give you a point of view. Um, like if you position it somewhere where your face is, it would look as if the person that views the video would think, oh, I'm standing there at the desk and doing something with my hands. You can't really do that with a normal camera. Sure. Yeah. Pretty pricey. I think once I started using the the regular Canon camera, I, I tried to incorporate the GoPro a little bit for you know maybe some close up CNC shots, but I didn't see much value in it, you know, that I couldn't get from the regular camera. But uh, you know, I still have it in my back pocket if I need it, so it's good to have. Yeah, what I like to do with my GoPro is put it inside a drawer and then push the drawer in, so it looks like you have an inside view from inside the drawer. Stuff like that where your normal camera just doesn't sure. cut it because it's uh, too narrow. Oh, that's, a, that's a cool idea. I've, actually, the my latest video I've been working on, I actually filmed everything in 4K, which I've been doing in 1080p before. And I've been cutting it down, which makes just for great zoom shots, I think. So maybe maybe everybody knows that, but I, I, just, <laughs> I just came upon it. I was like, oh, this is a good technique. So... I don't know. You, you probably do that, Max, right? You said you film everything 4K. Uh, I, I, I always record 4K and I zoom in, but not that much. Maybe I zoom into like 2K, but not more than that. Because I think like if somebody's watching this on 4K, he might get disappointed if I zoom in too much. Sure. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, 1080p is pretty pretty good still, I, I think. But but there's so many techniques that I have to remember when editing. Like there's there are these transitions that can be really nice sometimes. Transitions to black transitions to white um this uh, stop cut or however it's called like where you don't do a time lapse you just show real-time footage but you um paste them really quickly after each other so it looks almost like a time lapse but it's not really like there's so much stuff i need to remember and i never can when editing it's amazing you know i look back at some of my old videos and it's 
like some of them are so so bad and then, you know it's just like but you see you know you see your progress you know day after day after day and uh or you know month by month and it's 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 pretty neat to see that but at the same time it's like wow i'm really ashamed of how bad these videos were you know two years ago but you know <laughs> i guess we all start from somewhere right yeah constant improvement isn't that the toyota thing yeah the T the tps the toyota production system right or maybe yeah it's, yeah, uh, yeah. So that's why we don't have new uh, resolutions because it, we implement improvement every day. It, it's funny. I, um, you know, you've seen that movie Office Space, I assume, right? They have the TPS report. I haven't yet. No, I really oh, have Well, to. they have the TPS reports and that's like <laughs> actually a real thing. It's Toyota production system. <laughs> and then I work for somewhere else that starts with a T and um, they make bearings. I won't say exactly who they are, but you can, you can take a guess. And they had... <laughs> their name production system <laughs> they, they copied it yeah I was like, of course <laughs> so anyway <laughs> i i had one staff review once and he was like um so what do you want from this company like have you got anything you want i said yeah i want this thing and he said yeah you can't have that anything else <laughs> what, what do you mean like uh like more money or did you want like <laughs> no 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 well it was just a technicality it was something about my retirement plan and they wouldn't do it it was just It would cost them a little bit more office work, but not any monetary cost, you know, it would just mean somebody has to put in 10 more minutes to fill out some paperwork. And they're like, no, we're not doing that. If you ask for this, everybody will ask for this. <laughs> that was the one thing I wanted from the company. Well, I guess, you know, I guess you weren't, you weren't valuable enough for 10 minutes of their administrative time. No. And then I quit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's uh, when I was uh, separated from the company that started with T you know, I was like, oh, can I take my tools? And like, okay. I was like, all right, sweet. <laughs> thanks. Thanks. You really could. Yeah. I think they felt bad for me or something, but, um, so they let me take my tools. Wow. That's really nice. I didn't think, I don't think they knew I, how many tools I had, but, uh, you know, <laughs> I got offered a, a toolbox, like a German manufactured toolbox with all the great German brands in there. And I was like, ah, oh, thanks, but that's just a waste. Like, I don't need it that often because I need like maybe once a week, I need an Allen wrench or something. <laughs> and I passed on it. Wow. That. Should have taken it. <laughs> that's a... But then I probably, I couldn't have taken that, I think. That would be too obvious. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, John, when, when did you start to, to work on your own? Uh, I think when I moved back down to South Florida in early 2016 is when I kind of was let loose to see what I could make of all this. Um, and so, so it, right. it's been a good time. You know, I, it's, I have to make sure to kind of keep my nose to the grindstone and, and keep working. I think uh, you can kind of get a little distracted with little shop projects, but in the end, you got to make stuff that sells. So that can be a challenge. Yeah, I totally feel you there. The worst part for me of work is uh, writing uh, invoices. Oh, I don't. I don't mind. Uh, like, give me some money. That's like. <laughs> it's like uh, you, that's what you get paid for, right? No, it's this really boring paperwork and admin stuff, like keeping track. Has they paid yet? Have they not? Well, you know, I don't know if they have spreadsheets in Germany, but that's what I use here here in America. <laughs> that's a good idea. Thank you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just filling them out is such a drag. Yeah, I know. I don't really like it either, but most of my customers, it's, I just do it once a month, you know, I don't know. No, no, I, I guess, I guess with you though, with a woodworking shop, you probably get paid before, beforehand, right? Is that, I see. 
Yeah, it depends. Some of the bigger projects, I might do a half now, half later, or just kind of get the material costs up front. Um, But uh, it it really depends. For the smaller stuff on Etsy, obviously, I get, you know, they pay and then I ship it out to them. But for the one-off stuff, it's a case-by-case basis. Okay. So so where do you get your materials? Well, that's, that's a good question because I had a really good place down in Miami that was probably about 30 minutes away from me. And it was a big warehouse style that they sold to large cabinet companies and they sold wholesale. So I would walk in there, you know, a little guy that would kind of waste their time buying, you know, a hundred board feet of something, (laughs) but they were nice enough about it. And then all of a sudden they shut down. And so I was kind of scrambling for this last project to find some, some good material that I, that I could use. And I found a place about 30 minutes north of me now, up in Del Rey, Florida. Uh, and I fe- it was pretty much the same situation. They sold wholesale, so I got pretty good prices. The only the only downside is they're not able to deliver. So I need to figure out a better solution because I don't have a pickup truck or and I can't carry boards that are too long. So That's interesting because Max, uh, being German, he thinks that all Americans have pickup trucks, he, he told me. <laughs> yeah, I, I was surprised that you said you don't have one. Yeah, I'd like to get one, but the car I have now works just fine, so I can't really justify getting rid of it. Yeah, for one project, I, I had to get one board into the... Uh, my mom got an SUV, so I used that to transport like big plywood pieces, and the board just didn't fit by five centimeters, so I had to cut it down in two pieces and then stick it back together at home with dowels, and that just in- increased the, the, the work time on that project by another day. Oh, that's, that's not good. Yeah, that, and you know, that's a good question about asking where materials are, where I get them from, because that's another situation that can kind of deter your work schedule because you know it's one thing to get all the wood ready but if you don't remember to get a certain you know uh, tool or consumable like sandpaper and say you don't it's not available locally that could set you back a few days if you're lucky you know maybe you can get it on amazon and get it the you know in two days or so but if you have to wait from like a a normal retailer that doesn't really have quick shipping that could set you back a week yeah have have you ever been like late for projects because of that or or have you always been able to make them up somehow I, i think i've always done pretty well there was a I think a couple months ago, I was making engagement ring boxes. I was making one for somebody, I forgot where they're from, but I had run out of these little hinges that I used for them. And I think the ones that I did have on hand were, the tolerances were way too loose. I think it was an off-brand that I bought on accident. And so I don't have a Woodcraft or a Rockler nearby. So I, I was trying to find some local places that would have this kind of stuff and I, I somehow I found a little small shop and, and they happen to have one or two of the hinges available so I think I drove you know 30 minutes out of, out of the way to get it but uh, I was able to meet the deadline was um, was it Harbor Freight by any chance I know Max is a big no, fan um, we do have a Harbor Freight <laughs> nearby but uh, how's yours it's uh, it's okay I, I've been there once or twice I think but uh I, I don't go there too often. I have a couple other tools, but I'm just not uh, super pleased with, with the results they give. <laughs> yeah, we, we, uh, we It's a bit of a running gag in the show. <laughs> yeah, Max, uh, Max came to Florida to visit, and instead of going to the beach, he went to Harbor Freight to uh, see what he could find. And I think he was a little disappointed. And I fell in love with Wendy's. <laughs> Wendy's is good. 
I really like Wendy's. And the stuff in Burger King was so nice. Burger King in Cape Coral, nicest stuff I ever had you, in any fast food joint. It sounds like you hit all the hot spots Florida has to offer. <laughs> yes, that's true. With materials, I decided uh, whenever I buy something now, I buy it in bulk. So if I buy screws, I buy 500 of them, like if they're machine screws. Because I know one day I'm going to finish them, if, if they're like reasonable size, not if they're super long and super narrow, but... Like anything like a 20 millimeter length, I just get 500. It costs a bit more, but then overall it's much cheaper and I always have enough on hand. Uh, same with sandpaper, like I buy three packs and as, as soon as I'm down to one pack, I order more and I order straight away uh, in the workshop from my phone. So that way I don't forget it. Oh, nice. Now, do you get that stuff from um, like Banggood or eBay or do you get them from, where, where do you get all your screws? All from Amazon, Amazon. Okay. everything Amazon. It's just so convenient. I think I could get it a bit cheaper if I got stuff from eBay, but you know, it's one click buy. I don't have to think about it. I'll pay a euro extra maybe, but then I know I get it in two days time. Yeah, I mean, eBay is kind of exciting though. If you don't know when you need it, you're just like, oh, I could use that in a month or so and you order it and then there's just like this nice surprise in the mail. You know, it's like, oh, cool. I don't, I don't remember ordering this, <laughs> yeah. but I, I can use the new amplifier or, or whatever it is. I bought some um, aluminium solder and it was supposed to melt at 280 degrees and I was supposed to use this on my main project which is the desk lamp I'm building right now and I had to use it to fix something else before I got around to doing it on the desk lamp which by this time was already machined and polished and everything and I tried to solder and it wouldn't even melt at 900 degrees so it's not aluminium solder I don't know what it is it's like a coat hanger wire 900 that's, that's <laughs> Celsius too I assume you're Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, Celsius. So, like, it was supposed to melt at 200, and even at 900, it wouldn't melt. Wow. So that was a big dis disappointment, yeah. But I'm so glad I didn't use this stuff because it would have ruined my project. <laughs> well, that's that's good. Because <laughs> it would have heated up the aluminium so much that it would have melted. Hmm. Well, I guess you can just use a, use a TIG, TIG welder for that, right? <laughs> that's, that's, yeah, well, I used epoxy now, and... <laughs> hmm. Maybe it was welding wire. Maybe that's maybe that's what they sent you. <laughs> yeah, that's eBay, you know. Yeah, so you never know. And it's funny. This the the guy I got it from first. He sent me a wrong parcel, and in there was like a cap for a five gallon jug, like a like a tap, <laughs> like to pour water from. Really? <laughs> so he sells both welding rods and <laughs> water jug taps. <laughs> so so John, what tools do you have in your possession that really spark joy for you? That's a good question. Yeah, I uh, I recently got a track saw and I've used it a couple times and I don't think I'm going to use it too often, but I think when I do use it, it's going to be really clutch. It's one of those tools that uh, you could probably get by without if you just have a regular circular saw and create your own little track. But the tolerances on the one I got, which is the I'm really happy with. Um, I have a regular circular saw and I've used the guide, but you know, there's always a little bit of a mess up if you don't, if you're not careful with your cut. Um, and I yeah. also, I recently got my bandsaw tuned up. I bought a brand new Rikon uh, almost two years ago. And for some reason, I never took the time to get it in perfect working order. And when I started working with it, I wasn't getting that great of results and I just didn't feel like messing with it and that's why in a lot of my videos you'll see me resawing on the table saw and I get a lot of questions about why I do that <laughs> and I usually tell people it's just because it's faster 
uh, and I don't have to worry about how much material it's taken away because I, I have material to spare. But the main reason was because, A, I didn't want to drag the dust collection over to my bandsaw, and B, my it wasn't working well. So I took some time a project or two ago to get it fixed up, and what ended up happening was the drive belt on the drive pulley was off by two of the ribs. There was like five Vs on it, and two of them had slipped off. And it was just something I had never noticed, and I also took the time to tension it correctly, so now it's working great. So... For anyone that is wondering why I do that, you'll you'll see me resong on the bandsaw more often now. <laughs> Did you balance the wheels too? The the wheels are fine. They track nicely. I'm exactly the same with my bandsaw. I I used it for two weeks, two years, and I thought it was really crap, even though it was expensive. And then I tuned it and squared everything up, and now it works perfectly fine. And a fresh saw blade, of course. Hmm. I've got a cheap one, and I expect it not to work very well, so it's. But I, you know, maybe it is time to just tune it up and everything. It's, I, I had this expectations like, like you guys did at first apparently, and but what do you know? Yeah. If you set it up correctly, it's, it works a lot better. <laughs> it's really good fun. Well, you know the, the tuning it up. The first, the first tool I ever bought was a a little wood lathe, but the second one I got was a 10 inch Craftsman bandsaw, and that's the tool I used to make I think about. 200 or so bandsaw boxes everything from my kickstarter I, i made on this little craftsman bandsaw and i tell you it's a little workhorse and a lot of people trash benchtop tools or just say it'll tell you to save your money to buy the the better model but i still have it because I'm, i keep it a, a thinner blade on it for more scroll work so it, it's a nice little tool yeah it's, it doesn't have to be an expensive tool for one to love it you know Some stuff is really simple, and it's just every time you take it in your hands, you're like, oh, I love this. Yeah, I think the uh, the one tool that I had my eyes on down the road that I'd like to get is a drum sander. And I think it's one of those things that would put a nice finish on every project you do. You know, uh, yeah. Because sometimes you might have some bad results with your planer if you have snipe or a little bit of tear out, but the drum sander can, can get rid of that stuff. And I've been wanting to get one And they're just, they're a little too expensive to just buy, you know, you know, run of the, you just randomly get one for yourself. But it's funny because I'll go spend $50 here, $100 here on something else. And then at the end of the month, I'm like, wow, I could have just got a drum sander if I didn't uh, <laughs> buy all that little stuff. So I keep my eye. Is building one an option? Um No, I, I'm not even interested in building my own jigs, to be honest. But so I, I don't think I'll ever build a tool like that. Although I, I do enjoy some of the videos that some of the guys have out there making their own tools. But uh, I, I did study engineering, but I just, it's just not in my mind to, to make those types of things. I, I, I feel like it's easier or more fun for me to make actual projects. Yeah, no, I, I know what you mean. We interviewed um, another Florida guy, you know, guys from Florida, Physics Anonymous. They, um, Yeah, they were telling us Mike how. And Ryan. Yeah, they were telling us how you know they really like actually building the tools. And you know, personally, you know, for the most part, I like buying the tools so I can make neat stuff. But I guess it's all, all about what you like. You know, I mean, somebody's. I I think it's an interesting pursuit. It's just you know, like you, it's like, well, I want to make this other thing that's pretty cool, so I might as well just skip yeah. that stuff. Because so far, their channel only ex uh, exists out of their uh, lathe rebuild <laughs> project. So. 
<laughs> yeah, I don't even use a shop-built crosscut sled, and that's one of the most common and easy jigs to build. And you'll find a ton of videos on YouTube showing you how to do it, but I just there's a lot of precision involved that I don't like to deal with. And if there is a small error, I'd like to know that I can call a company to have it fixed as opposed to like trying to fix it myself. I think it, it might sound a little, uh, like I'm a prima donna or something, but I think, I feel like I have other things I want to build than, than the jigs that makes other stuff. Well, this is your business. You have to make money with this. You right. Know? You have to spend money to make money. Sure. Yeah, yeah that's, I, always, I that's always the debate, you know, it's like, do I spend money on this or do I make it or do I, you know, because at some point, you know, sure, if I had a, you know, a $500,000 CNC machine, I could make some really cool stuff with it. But, you know, in the meantime, how am I going to pay my mortgage and or, or get financing for it for that matter? Right. <laughs> oh, I was going to say, I use, I have a couple of jigs and I get questions about them whether people like whether I like it or not and um, it's interesting because I feel like if you are just starting out you probably should build your own jigs but like you said if you have a, more of a cutthroat deadline to work with it, it might not be as uh, high up on your to-do list yeah and there's something about metal uh, that's just much nicer than wood in my opinion yeah so. you know you know who has a nice crosscut sled is um, Nick Ferry made a really nice one that if I were to ever make a crosscut sled or any jig for that matter, I think coming from his channel, I think I would probably copy the one he made. It, uh, it has a lot of nice hardware and it's a really clean build. So if anyone is out there wondering what kind of crosscut sled to make, I, I would look at Nick Ferry's channel. So, so John, how, how big is your shop? Do you have any limits as far as for what you can have in it? Uh, obviously um, you do, we all do. Yeah, it's it's just a normal two car garage. So I think it's something like eighteen by eighteen, and I think everyone hopes to have a bigger shop than they currently have, and uh, I'm no exception. So there's there's different things I'd like to have that I can slowly feel the shop filling up, and I'm kind of having having to make compromises that not everything can can have its own spot. Sometimes I have to keep stuff stowed away and and then bring it out when I need to use it and put it back away. But, uh, you know, as far as a dedicated shop, I think that's something that I would like to do in the future if if I could justify it cost-wise. But at the same time, it is nice to be home and working at the same time. So from that perspective, it's nice. Yeah, I agree with that. You can have your have your dog around, right? So. Yeah, <laughs> she's, a, she's a handful. I'm sure. Yeah, I got I've got one too. I love her love her to death. So And two kids. And two kids. And I love them to death too. So although you know, sometimes they'll uh, interrupt me, but it you know, it's nice. Obviously it's good. Again, can't complain. So Yeah. And as far as shop space, I think when I was first buying some tools when I had a little bit of money from my Kickstarter, I was thinking, you know, let me just buy the biggest and the best and get it over with. And so I bought my saw stop and I I bought it with the 52-inch fence and I figured why wouldn't I want the biggest fence? You know, it's it's the biggest, it's the best, so I should have it. But I have never had to cut anything over 40 inches using the fence. And so at this point, 
that extra table and fence length just takes up space and it ends up being a space for clutter that I just put stuff on. And the same goes for my CNC machine. I bought a, yeah. a Shapeoko XXL and it takes up a lot of space. It takes up like a four foot by four foot uh, footprint in the shop that you can't really store anything above it. And it's just sort of there and it just sort of juts out in the corner. So I think if I had to do this all over again, I'd probably rethink some of the sizes of the tools I was getting. What um what's the actual workspace on work work area on that? I think it's I think it's something like 30 by 30 or maybe it's a square meter. It's something like that. Okay. That's pretty so. pretty good. I've got a I've got a 2 by 3, but you know, that's always taken up by tools and stuff. So really you're talking about more like you know, one and a half by 2 or so when I mean, you know, technically it can do, technically it is a two by three, but then, uh, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, same, same thing with Max. Right. I think you've got a, I think Max has a similar, similar size CNC. Yeah. My CNC was too big. I built it two by one and a half meters. So like, oh, wow. As, oh, it, it's fun. a lot. It's uh, in feet. It's like as, as tall as a person, it's long. And it was just too big for the workshop. So I cut it in half after two years because I, I just felt this space, I need the space for better stuff. I needed to move around. And uh, then I thought about, um, I built a little thing to put it up against the wall. So it would be uh, at an angle. So it takes up less space, but then that would, uh, yeah, it just wasn't stable enough to cut anything on it because the vibrations would shake it too much. Um, so I got rid of that idea and I cut it in half. Hmm. But yeah, safe spacing CNC would be really nice. What did you plan on making when you were building that CNC that big? Uh, a table, uh, not, no, not a table, a, a, a leather seat, like a lounge chair. Oh, that sounds, sounds nice. Yeah. So it's, it's lounge, lounge chair dimensions from the side view. I see. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah. I love my, love my CNC router, but it's always, you know, it's always like, just need something just a little bit bigger. That's not, and then you need a smaller <laughs> too when you want to work around it. So, you know, what are you going to do? Well, the, the uh, project I'm working on right now, it uh, involves a little bit of CNC work. And um, I had to cut out a template for it. And the template is, you know, 20 inches high and 42 inches wide. So I had to cut it in half and I'm going to have to glue the two pieces together. So that's sort of reaching the limitations of the machine, but I have a workaround for it. So it's not too big of a deal. Okay. You know, before this one, I actually had a... Uh a seven by 12 CNC router, which people thought was huge until I told them that was inches, which is, which is actually true, <laughs> but you know, it was nice for cutting out little stuff. Just obviously, yeah. uh, jewelry. Yeah, true, yeah. No, I mean, exactly. That kind of, that skill type stuff. I always uh, see people uh, that want to build huge 3d printers. Like, oh, I want to do 40 by 40 centimeters, which is like uh, a foot by a foot. And it's like, do you know how long pieces are going to print on that in that size? Oh, yeah, it'll take you like three, three or four days to print something. Yeah, you wouldn't print a shoebox. Yeah, people, you know, especially, you know, several years ago when this first started coming out, it seems like people were like, oh, 3D printers will just change everything. You know, by, by 20, 2018, people would be just printing their shoes and whatever else, you know, just... Shoes. And it's a great <laughs> technology in some respects, but you can't, you can't say it's going to replace everything. I mean, maybe you know, maybe in 50 years or maybe in 20, but it's still got a long way to go before it's, you know, going to replace your milling machine or, 
or lathe or, or whatever else. But it, it's it's yeah. excellent for what it's great at, but it's just not... I think people had this expectation that it would just... You could just make everything in your in your closet, you know, and just... Yeah, I think it's great for prototyping <laughs> if that's what you're into. But yeah. I, yeah, I think people have this idea that... Um, if a part on something you own breaks that you would just go print it out, which I think we could probably get there one day. Like say the back of your TV remote broke off and you have to get a new one. Maybe the manufacturer could supply the code to print it out. But uh, I don't know if if we'll get there anytime soon. Yeah, at the moment I couldn't even print that part on my remote because it's, it's got sharp corners and all of that. Right, and you're not even probably printing out a material that would be suitable for that type of application. At least, you know, I'm not too familiar with 3D printers, but I'm not sure what they usually print out of. I usually hear like PL, PLA, uh, maybe, I guess. PLA, yeah. Or ABS, which is like the yeah, Lego I guess brick material. ABS, ABS is really good. good. PLA is good too, but not as strong as yeah. ABS. I, I will I will say though, when I, when I worked in manufacturing, they just got to the point where they had a pretty good 3D printer at the place I worked. And they'd make like machine guarding out of it sometimes and just, just in some uh, really unusual stuff. And it actually worked, worked out pretty well for that, that type of application. You know, applications where it's not just getting banged over and over a hundred times a day. I, I've seen a guy today on, on YouTube. He, uh, his name is uh, Peacemaker. He makes, uh, he, he does machining work, uh, like industrial machining work. And in his giant CNC, he built this fixture with a 3D printer where the collet of the CNC would go into this fixture, then turn leftwise to unscrew the collet, then insert a rod, a new workpiece, and then go the other way again to fix the collet again so the CNC could open and close its own collet with the 3D printed part, which I thought was absolutely amazing. Wow. Yeah, it's amazing. So you automated it. you can get up to. Like the, um, not necessarily 3D printed, but what do they call them? Pallet or machine tending robots? You know where you have a something that's being machined, and then a, you know a six-axis robot goes in and takes it out and puts the next one in. So you, do, you know, no, no, no human yeah. to even, even do that part. So that's, you know, as an engineer, I think that's yeah. awesome. That, that's what this. That's exactly okay. what this oh, okay. guy does. Uh, Peacemaker is his name on YouTube. Really Very good cool. channel. Yeah. One question we have for you: um, How do you get these really fine details, fine edges, ninety-degree angles? Well, uh, it doesn't come easily, and. Sometimes it won't happen at all. I, I think there's many projects where perfection is, is far away from what you'll achieve, and you have to be okay with that. I think a lot of times you, you can't let uh, perfect be the enemy of good. So it's something I like to sort of live by. Not that you want to make stuff that's incomplete or poorly crafted, but wood is the type of material that isn't as forgiving as other materials it's just it's imperfect so you know you, one piece of wood will have a crazy grain the other piece will have a nice straight grain that works nicely with your tools so i'm working on a project right right now with a bunch of pieces of walnut and i have a bunch of pieces they're all cut to the same dimension i pick up one and it's super heavy and dense i pick up the next one and it's really light and so it's that's the type of thing you have to kind of get used to when you're working hmm. with wood you know, as far as your tools, that's just something that's whatever you're comfortable with. I think uh, the YouTube channel Garage Woodworks, uh, he does a lot of work with the dial indicator to get his tools absolutely perfect. And that's just something that I think is good for his work. At the same time, he's probably also just interested in using that type of tooling to get his tools dialed in. 
I'll get it to where it's good enough. If I notice a mistake, I'll try to fix it as best I can. And, and that's sort of what I'll settle with. Sure. And I think as a creator too, if I don't know about you, Max and you, John, but it, it's like you make something and the imperfections just pop out at you so much. And I, I don't think necessarily everybody sees that. Mm-hmm. You guys, what do you guys think? I guess you have to know when to, when to compromise and be like, well, not everybody's going to notice that little nick at the bottom of the workpiece or whatever. Yeah, if you post it on YouTube, someone will see it. <laughs> <laughs> if you get enough views, though. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so so congratulations. That's uh, excellent. You're, you're at but, that level. Uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, I think any mistakes you make on a project, you know they're there, and most people will not see them, or they'll just think it's part of the project that's there for some reason or not. But uh, I had that issue when I first started working with, with wood, and... I would try to be a perfectionist and I'd try to fix everything. But the more you try to fix something, if you try to sand something away, you're just going to sort of exacerbate the issue and, and make it pop out even more. So that, that's also one of the reasons I don't like to work with veneered plywood, you know, like a, a walnut veneered plywood or expensive plywood like yeah. that is it is so easy to nick the veneer. Yeah. And and then all, now you see yeah. you know the plywood underneath and it's just something I don't want to deal with. So that uh, apothecary chest I made last month, I wanted to use solid wood, and that's one of the main reasons is you know I could have used sapili veneered plywood and it would have been a lot cheaper and a lot quicker to make. But you know as as many times as I had to move that case, I know I would have 100% nicked the veneer at least one time. So having to repair that would have been a tough yeah. task. I had that problem. We have this plywood oh. here, which is, which is really cheap, but it has a really nice cherry finish on the outside. I don't know how they do it or if it's even this cherry, but it looks absolutely nice like, well, like cherry. And if you sand through it, it's whisper thin. Then underneath you see red glue. And I tried all kinds of uh, magic markers to fix that, but you always see it. Yeah, well, I guess uh, yeah, I guess you got to know, know when, to, <laughs> when to fix it and when to live it, live it alone, I guess. Yeah, and there's certain projects that demand more perfection than others. Uh, you know, when you're making small items, you really have to be careful with with how you're working because the smaller the item you're making, the easier it is to see these mistakes. Uh, so some of the ring boxes I make, you can if you you know have a little bit of tear out from planing in the wrong direction. You know, that's going to be easily seen when the item's only three inches tall because there's not much else to look at besides the mistake. Um, but on the other side of the coin, when you're working with a big project, mm-hmm. you know, it might be easier to hide a mistake. But if you do make a mistake early on, it'll start compounding as you put stuff together. So, you know, I think, uh, I guess, I guess no matter what size project you're working with, you got to be careful with your mistakes. Sure. And I guess with the ring box too, you don't want, you know, them to ask a girl to marry him and say, well, you know, I, I think about it, but that ring box just not quite, not quite good enough. So yeah. Yeah, I'm sure John will offer so. a refund in that Yes. Case. <laughs> uh, this box had some tear out on it. Can I please get a new one? A new, a new, a new girlfriend? Well, maybe, I, maybe somebody asked for something especially cheap, you know, and you can offer those. Well, that's things. another thing is because I think when you, so a lot of woodworkers don't like sapwood or, you know, some people don't like the look of it in certain cases. And that's another thing is I think a normal person that doesn't know much about woodworking might appreciate that type of thing. So if you were to include sapwood into a project, <clears throat> excuse me, if you were to include sapwood into a project 
for a woodworker to buy, they would probably be upset about it if it doesn't look nice. But I think someone else, if they're just buying something from your shop and you include sapwood, they would probably be pretty excited about it and think it's unique. How, how do you so. how do you define sapwood? Just so in case, in case I or anybody else doesn't oh, understand well, that. Well, so sapwood is uh, if you were to look at a tree and cut it. It would be the outside part of the tree closest to the bark. It's usually a lighter color. So on walnut, the heartwood would be like a dark brown and the sapwood would be uh, maybe an off-white or a dark tan, depending on how the wood was dried. Very good. Thanks. Thanks for explaining that to, uh, you know, to Max, I guess, since. Yeah, thank you. you. No problem. (laughs) I Googled it in the meantime, to be honest. (laughs) So, John, let's go to progress. What have you done this week, actually? This week, I started a a new project, and it's a little pet project for myself, and I don't get to do this too often. Last year, I I made a a Malouf-style chair, and that was my project for the year that was for myself. And so this year, I'm starting off with a little bench that is sort of in the style of a box-jointed bench that you might see popping up on YouTube every now and again. And most people will make them out of two-by-fours, and it's a pretty simple and cheap project. And so I'm trying to take it to the next level, and it's going to be similar in construction, but it's going to look like a bunch of squiggly lines. So it's not a type of bench you would ever want to sit on. Um, not that any bench that I've ever made gets sit, uh, sat on. So it's usually just, uh, let me put my feet up here and tie my <laughs> shoes. So I figured if it's not comfortable to sit on, it's not a big deal. So, uh, that, that was, uh, that was the project I, you know, I, I squiggled down on, a a receipt. I just drew the design quickly and that was kind of what popped in my head. Um, but besides that, I kind of took the new year as the time to kind of clean the shop up. That's what I did last year and it worked out well. I, I got a new shop layout i kind of rearranged things cleaned up and kind of get a new fresh start and you know over the year i acquired some new tools so i think a new shop layout was uh definitely due. Uh, very nice that's always nice yeah do you put your stuff on wheels on casters most of the stuff is on wheels so the table saw the band saw and the uh my outfeed table are on wheels and so those are easy enough to move. The workbench that I have is not on wheels, but I can kind of drag it around easy enough. So, But uh, some of the other tools, like my joiner, it does need a mobile base. It doesn't have one right now, and that's a pretty big pain to move. So I got it in its spot now, so hopefully it won't have to be moved for a while. Very cool. What about you, Max? Are you working anything cool this week? Uh, yes, definitely. My uh, desk lamp, uh, which is, um, I always wanted a desk lamp, which is a nice desk lamp, but I couldn't find one, you know, even the designer brand for like five, 600 uh, bucks. I didn't like them. And so I built my own, uh, lots of CNC work on that. Uh, and yeah, pretty much all CNC and on the lathe. It's really minimalistic. It has a carbon fiber stem to it and it's super bright. It's got a 30 watt LED. So that's like 240 watts of the incandescent. It's really light, uh, bright, and yeah, I almost finished it, and the video should be up hopefully soon. I guess a week, one more week, I guess. Yeah, that sounds awesome. I can't can't wait to see it. I've been I've been hearing about it for weeks. It seems like, or maybe maybe longer. Yeah, I know, I know. I had some other stuff that occupied me and uh, some access problems uh, to the lathe, but that's it's all fixed now. And yeah, really proud of um, not proud. I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, and you, Jeremy. Yeah, I um I guess the biggest thing I did this week, my wife got me a uh, a Nixie tube clock kit, which oh, wow. I don't know if you guys are familiar with what those are, but they use a 
Yeah, those are cool. Can you describe it to the viewers? It's like there are these little modules, and it's almost hard to describe. But it's basically got uh, ten. Uh, I guess it's cathodes or anodes. Anyway, one, ten, ten individual things that glow, and they're stacked one against each other. So, as you know, one if, when it goes from zero to one to two to three, it actually counts back in the uh, the glowing pieces of metal. And they're these just modules that display the numbers. So you've got four of them together, and this this clock, I, I, it's, it was sold as a kit, and I put it together and. and actually did a video of it too, which is kind of not something I usually do as far as kits and stuff, but I think this one will be really cool because you had to like actually solder, you know, the whole thing on. It took me took me several hours. So <laughs> that's uh it's pretty fun. And then um I guess the other thing I made that bed for my son. So we'll, I'll be doing putting that that'll be the next video I put out. So I'll be I'll be happy to show that off. Probably uh probably not up to John's standards, but it's it's uh sturdy enough to keep him <laughs> <laughs> to keep him from falling on the floor. So that's that's a good thing. Well, John made amazing work. You know this uh, this uh, chest of drawers he did with these uh, lots of uh, apothecary. How do you say it? Oh. Apothecary. That's the thing. It looked so great, <laughs> and he had so many drawers in that. Yeah, that looked really really good. Yeah, that beyond. Thank you. That was that was a fun project that uh, it came about because I had made a smaller one that had you know was meant to hold watches. And then my wife wanted one for the entryway of our house. And so she just drew up a quick little design. Pretty much what you see in the video is what she kind of drew up. And uh, I made it happen. And it was that was a very involved build. You know, having 21 drawers, It uh, every little task took a long time because you had to do it 21 times. So That's great, though, to put it, it was, at the front uh, of your house. So now, like, when people walk in, you know whether they're nosy or not. Because, you know, obviously, these people want to look in these drawers, right? So you're... You know, you know if if they're gonna snoop around, right? It's like a test. Yeah, yeah. You know, most of them are empty still, but I think if you give us enough time, they'll be filled with junk soon enough. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, John, last thing we want to ask, you know, if somebody wants to get involved in woodworking, how would how would one do that? It looks like you've come to pretty pretty good point, but certainly you started from somewhere, right? Yeah, I think I think the first thing you should do is figure out something that you want to make. And then from there, you can take the path of seeing what tools and materials and plans you might need. I think a lot of people will get into it and get obsessed with the tools. So they'll say, I need these five tools before I can do anything. And not until I get my workbench set up and my, my shop set up can I make anything. And, and it becomes an obsession about just being a part of the hobby instead of actually making something. So I think if you, for instance, want to make a bed, Find some plans online to make a bed, see what tools those plans call for, and just get going. I think it's really easy to get frozen saying, like, I I'm not ready to do this yet. But I think you have to accept that a ton of mistakes are going to happen before you're going to get good at it. And even when you are good at it, you're still going to make a bunch of mistakes. So I would say just find something you want to make and then kind of see what tools you need and get started. Very cool. Yeah, I think that's a great philosophy just for you know, woodworking, YouTube videos, metalworking, whatever, just like kind of, kind of plays into what we're all about, I think. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of resources online. I, I think, you know, even outside of YouTube and things like that, there are a lot of books you can get. I have a lot of woodworking books that obviously I've never read any of them, but I have them. <laughs> and if I, if I need to read them, I can. And so, 
the drawer joint that I use for my apothecary chest drawers is called a half-blind lock joint, and it has a couple other names. But I found that in a book that I got from Goodwill, which is a thrift store, and they're pretty cheap. So if you're ever in those kind of stores, see what kind of books they have. Those types of books have very traditional and classical designs, and they have a lot of techniques and approaches that are pretty timeless that haven't changed. So that's another avenue you oh, can very, take. Very cool. It's very interesting. So I, I guess uh, I guess the last thing after that, I, I mean, Max. Um, well, first of all, John, if, if somebody wanted to get a, in touch with you or see your stuff, how would they how would they contact you? Or, or better yet, why don't we talk about your Etsy store? What they can buy your stuff too, right? Yeah, um, I have a couple things listed, and um, most of them are some of my bandsaw box designs and a couple of my engagement ring box designs. And if you want something a little bit more custom, you could always just email me. I think some of the contact information is on my website, which is perlaworks.com. And if you wanted to see more of my day-to-day stuff, you could follow me on Instagram at perlaworks. And I usually try to post at least once a day showing what I'm working on that day and, and uh, give a little couple sneak peeks at what videos are sure. to come. And your YouTube is Perilla Works as well? Is that correct? Very cool. Yep. Yep. What 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 about you, Max? Where do we where do we find you? I think the best thing is just uh, going on YouTube, typing in Max Maker and you find my channel with the big green logo. And I've got all the links in the channel and description of all my videos. So you can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, or check out my Amazon store with some nice tools if you want to. Something nice. Okay. Very nice. Yeah. And, uh, and, and you? Oh, as, as for me, you can find me on YouTube. I'm Jeremy S. Cook. And on Twitter, at Jeremy S. Cook as well. It's, it's pretty much pretty much the only social media outlets I, I engage in. So that's that's where you find me. Yeah. It's, uh, it's been great, great talking to you, John, and, and you, Max, as always. Yeah, really good. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, well, thanks for joining us, and we hope we have you back sometime. Yeah, thanks thanks a lot. When you've got 200,000. <laughs> stay, hey, uh, stay, stay warm in uh, South Florida. I know it's been, uh, been a rough, rough winter. I'm doing my best. I'm running out of long sleeves. <laughs> yeah, I know. I had to put on a, a light jacket today, so it was, it was kind of... Kind of oh tough. no! Oh, that's, that's too bad. <laughs> uh. <laughs> All right, bye All right, bye. See ya.